Well, we have a treat tonight. Uh, Dan is going to come up here and share. He gave me a glimpse of his notes, practical perichoresis. That's as far as I'm going to go. I don't want to steal his thunder. I would like you to take a few minutes and uh, in some detail, help everybody know how to get a hold of you guys' podcast. Ah, okay. Because so, the, the, Dan and Becky do a podcast every weekend. And I tell you what, it's a delight to listen to. Uh, I've had the honor of being on with them a couple of times. Mm -hmm. uh, but you would really, you will be encouraged. Absolutely flat out guarantee it. So go ahead and share that and give Dan a welcome. Thank you. So... Uh, yeah, you can actually see us at grace.world. There's no comms, no nothing. It's just grace.world is our website. Uh, the podcast, you can also get on Spotify and everything. So if you look for Grace World, so that's, you can tell I like Grace. That's kind of my thing. That's what we like to talk about the most. Our podcast, um, my wife Becky is there. I normally do the most teaching, and it gives people an opportunity to actually hear conversations. And I know actually Larry's teaching us to be more conversational here and uh, talk more. But the goal of our podcast is kind of just take, and we've gone everything from pretty deep philosophical stuff with Larry on some of the details on perichoresis and other things to just what dealing with life, you know, what's, what's happening in our lives and how to deal with it. So yeah, uh, feel free to go check that out and we'd love to have you um, come see that. So Today, though, we're going to talk about, or tonight, practical perichoresis. And I don't know, everybody's heard perichoresis at least 50 times now, right? But if there's anybody online hasn't heard it, perichoresis is a, it's a newer term in the sense it was the third to seven hundreds where it became a typically used terminology, but the concept has been there since the very beginning. And part of what I want to do tonight is go back and say, let's go look at the Bible at, a lot of, at various places, ideas and things that we've heard in the past, and try to reconcile that with the whole idea of perichoresis. How does that really fit within all the stuff we already know anyways? Because sometimes what I've learned, I've, I've been learning, um, studying the word for over 50 years. Um, I'm, well, I did it twice, several of the years. <laughs> so, uh, but I think one of the things Larry has challenged me on probably more than anybody else is I've always had very strong opinions, um, not in a harsh way, but just because I studied a lot. And so I developed a lot of opinions. But I think one of the things I'm learning from Larry is to say, I'm not exactly sure on that one. And I think I can, I'll hold that a little looser than... I might have in the past. And so the goal here is, and I'm, I'm going to talk about this a little tonight, is to learn how to bound problems, right? There's a boundary to things. We don't want to be uh, post-modern, there is no truth, but we don't want to sit there and beat with people with a stick with harsh dogma. And we got to find where's that right place where we bound our understanding and our ideas, and how do we share those with people in a manner that's loving and Christ-like, and yet we still grow and we learn something. And so tonight, I'm going to just, actually got a handout for you. I'm going to put it on screen here for the online people. Watch here. There. All right. 
You can hand those out for me. Thank you. That's my lovely assistant will be doing this. So I have circles. So this is a coloring exercise where you get to draw on it or, or write if you wish, because I'm going to augment this a lot. In fact, next I'm going to go to the drawing board and I'm going to spend a lot of time drawing and writing things on the drawing. So you can join me in augmenting your picture. So what I want to do tonight is go through and understand um, how do we view ourselves in that relationship with God in light of perichoresis. And so what I'll do is let's just start with this verse. I need to wait till we all have it. I'm going to read this and kind of have this as sort of a, a reference for what we come back to. And this is in 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, if you don't have that, or if you do, we're still going to read it. So, how we doing there? I was going to bring crayons, but it would be more fun. So, let's see. All right, so, I'm going to go ahead and start and read this, and let's see if we can connect this with the idea of perichoresis as we read this. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who has called us by our own glory and goodness. Called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us every great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Does that sound like perichoresis? So we get to enter in. So perichoresis, just I'll read the rest here in a second. To give us a little picture, this is a, you see the little uh, icon there in the upper left. That's actually from an old Greek window. If you look at it, there's like three little things working together. And it's the idea of that interrelationship of God that we're called to be part of as they do the dance, as they circle and are with each other. We get to be called into that. So he says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness Mutual affection and a mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So I want to start talking about this, but first I'm going to draw a picture and we're going to start recognizing what our circles are for. So say, Dan, why are there three circles? So let's go draw. And we'll see how good I can draw little circles. So let's make our circles blue. So you have three circles there. In our top circle, what I'm trying to get into is, let's look at uh, what are we made of, okay? And a lot of people will... Uh, use different words for this. I'm going to talk about body, soul, and spirit. People will share things differently, but I'm trying to say, how does this ultimately connect with God? Okay? So the first thing I want to do is talk about this top bubble will be your soul. 
Okay? We all have a soul. What's your soul? You can feel your mind, your will, your emotions, it's all the, the real you, you stuff, right? And in Greek, our word for that is suke, which is where you get psyche. So that's our word for that, okay? So that's kind of the, the real us, the core, fundamental who you are. And so you can annotate that with your mind, your will, whatever else you want to write on that, and et cetera. I didn't leave space to write a bunch more stuff. That's going to be a problem. I'm going to have to make my bubbles a little smaller here. This is a cool screen. All right, we'll make this guy a little bigger or smaller over here. Over here. So what's next? We have a body, right? Okay. And don't worry too much about these words because different people will split things a little bit different, and that's not the point of what we're going to talk about here today. So you got a body, but the Bible uses two different words for body. Okay? So let me ask you right off, is your body a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing, right? It says we're good. But there's another word that's used that has more of a negative implication, flesh, which is, uh, yeah, we'll just say flesh here. Can anybody read my writing or is it too horrible? All right, sufficiently large. So the body is typically, that's a Greek word called somata. You know, so if we said, what's somata you? And the flesh is typically the Greek word sarks is what you'll see. And so one of the things that's interesting in the New Testament, depending on your trend, I, I like to read the, the nearly inspired version is what I mostly read out of. That's a, a joke for some of those that have a strong opinion on that. But one of the things it does really poorly is it always translates the word sarks as sinful nature. And unfortunately, a few other translations do that, but they do it the most. And what it does is it gives an... What's the implication of that? It says the flesh is bad, but even more so... It says that we have a nature that we will continue to do, that that's who we are. It is our nature to sin. And so it tends to be something, I think, where it gives us that hopelessness of, well, I'm always going to be sinning because I got a sinful nature. That's who I am. Okay? And that's, let's get past that here in a minute. So that's really some terrible handwriting. But all right, I'll try to do better. It kind of is, but eh, we'll work on it. So what's left is the spirit, okay? Let's see if I can draw a little nicer. It's nicer if I write capital letters. The spirit is the Greek word is pneuma, you know. New, uh-oh, going to run out of space. And the spirit, a little bit harder for me to describe spirit, because we can argue is that it's not really the human spirit. It's really, I want to, for our explanation tonight, it's going to be, how are we really connected to God? What is it that's with us where we are related to God? Okay. And so what I want to take in this picture is say, ultimately, there are two ways, and we're going to see these used over and over in the Bible, two ways we can operate in our lives. And this is where I want to get back to perichoresis. What would it really mean 
if we say I'm operating in perichoresis, what am I doing different? Anybody? What does walking in the spirit? That's a good word for it, right? So if we walk according to the spirit, let's draw a little circle around that. This really defines perichoresis. We'll go ahead and give it a, how about we give it a little, we'll give it a bump into the body, but not the flesh, okay? <laughs> so, so then what's the opposite of walking by the Spirit? Walking according to the flesh, okay? Now, if we do that, if we walk according to the Spirit, it says in John that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we basically get a choice every day, every minute, every hour. Who are we listening to? So according to perichoresis, God has invited us to join him in a relationship to be led by him and participate with what he's doing, right? And to live according to the flesh means, I can't hear you. I, can't, I have other plans. I'm going to do something else is pulling my mind, my heart, my thoughts away. So let's do a couple of comparison words here. Um, Richard, you said, this is, let's start, so this is where you should write this on your paper. This contrast of two ways of doing things is really comes up over and over and over, especially in the New Testament. So we can choose, right? We can walk according to the Spirit. We can walk according to the flesh. I've got to get my notes here because I have a whole list of things. Now, we also can describe that as uh, John talks about it, living in the light, right? So then what's the opposite? We can walk in darkness. We have, my favorite is, this is Romans 7. Anybody know this stuff? Romans 8. What does Romans 7 say? It talks about, I'm a sinner separated from God. What I want to do, I can't do. What I want to do, I do. Doobie, doobie, do. It's all that stuff, right? Who will, who, will, who will save me from this body of flesh is kind of how it ends. That's Romans 7. It's, I'm stuck. And then you go to the next chapter. What does Paul say? There... There is therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus for the love of the law of the Spirit has set me free from the law of sin and death. That's another good one, right? This is sin and death. Ugh. Ugh. If I spell it this way, it's like a metal band. <laughs> it's like a death. <laughs> Well, then what's the opposite over here, right? Is life. What else? Give me some more. I have a list here, but let's see if you guys could notice. A few. Because what we'll have is there's all these different describers or descriptors through the New Testament that describes the alternatives. Anybody got any other ideas? Okay. This is clearly love. I don't what would the opposite be? Not love, apathy, uncaring, self, that kind of stuff. 
What else? Peace and joy. Okay. <laughs> so if we have peace over here and joy, hey, I guess we probably should have thought of joy pretty early on here at Joyland, huh? And then the opposite would be, I don't know, what, turmoil? Fear? Oh, good. Fear is a good one. Fear. Right? Because fear has to do with punishment. Yeah, or torment. Right? We have, what else do we got? This is the Spirit of Christ. This is over here. Wow, that's some terrible writing. It's like bad spray paint graffiti. If that's Christ, then this is the spirit of Antichrist. Right? That actually doesn't look too bad. I think it's too low for me to write. What else? What? Ooh, faith. Okay. What's the opposite of faith? Unbelief. There's your, that's the, okay. I like that word better. What's different about that? Unbelief or sight? Because if we have two ways to walk, if we walk by sight, what we're doing is we're doing according to what the flesh sees, right? If we walk by faith, we're walking according to what God says. The flesh says, I see uh, injury, disease, lack of job, lack of income, lack of finances, lack of relation. And that's what you see. And you say, therefore, that is what is, is what sight does to us. But faith, wow, it just looks like somebody just vandalized this board. So faith is us saying, what does God say in this situation? What is it that he really wants to do? All right, anything else? What do I have? Any more ideas? I could do that. That'd make it too easy. All right, I have two more, I think. I'm going to use another color just to confuse things. This is living in the kingdom. Oops. King. Kingdom living. So then this would be what? Worldly. Okay. Now the world, that's another interesting Greek world is cosmos, which typically either means everything, or sometimes it's used negatively to imply that which isn't in the kingdom. So we'll see that as a contrast. So sometimes you'll see it as a contrasting term. The world is that whole world system of everything that is opposed to what the kingdom is doing. That makes sense? All right, I got one last one for me. This is your past. This is the present and the future. Why is that so important? I didn't even think of that one till today, and I've been teaching this thing for years. Why does that matter? Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. 
Okay. It's an anchor. Right. Okay. So there's so much there in the past, and that's usually where a lot of Satan's accusations are about the past, aren't they? Are they about what you did? That's where, I think that's probably where the majority of the power of Satan is, is the past. As the, right? He's the accuser of the brethren. So he's going to look at whatever was done. He never wants to look at what's going to be. Right, unless it's to say, you're going to get more of the same, right? So, as we look in this in terms of perichoresis, does this start to kind of make the idea of what does it actually mean to be with what God is doing? Does this start to connect those ideas? So in fact, I guess that's actually a good question. What, what do you think God is? We've had this whole question. Actually, Becky asked Larry, and Larry answered some stuff on, you know, we've talked about what salvation is, all sorts of things like that. And part of the question is, what do you think God really wants to do with us? Why is he bringing us into this relationship? Why would he do that? What's the big picture here? Okay. Oh, yeah. I should probably give... Yeah, let's have you... Let's do that. And that reminds me, I have another picture I could draw. Uh, probably not. There you go. Yeah. Uh, he, he, we're, we share his bloodline. He wants the very best for us. Okay. Uh, he wants to promote us like any good father would want to promote their kids into a a better life, a stronger life, a more spiritual part. You know, you brought up a good point. God created us body, soul, and spirit. A lot of times we're spending too much time maybe in the body and in the soul and maybe limited time to spirit. Mm -hmm. So I think he wants to promote more on that side, connect yeah. the mind with the spirit. Yeah, and I think, and I don't, I'm, you see, this is where I'm careful with the words because I think depending on the church you come raised from, soul can be even be a negative word. And I'm going to just, for our point of discussion, I'm going to say the soul is you. And the flesh is more the problematic stuff. So just for, I mean, different people will state it different ways. But just for a point of discussion here. So yeah, that soul, we're either relating according to the Spirit or relating according to the flesh on a regular basis. Now, do I have any room to draw? Not really. We're going to just clear this area here. So let's bring perichoresis back to life. You guys all have that cute picture on the upper left-hand corner that shows a, it's a little window, right? So I have another thought on perichoresis. If, let's look at it this way, let's talk about a union of Father, let's look at them as the giant celestial donut, I guess, is what this is. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? 
they're connected together and they're in relationship. And this has been since eternity past. And at some point, I mean, this was planned from the beginning, right? The lamb slain, sacrifice, uh, the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. But there was a point when the son, I want to say stepped out or left, but he came to earth because here he's all, this is all God together, right? But he chose to come down on earth, come on a cross, become a human being, a man. He joined, chose to join in with what humanity was doing, vicariously die on our account. We enter into that, because he even says, you know, we were crucified with Christ. Right? And this is what's, I think, one of the hardest things to do that I'm learning is to actually believe what the Bible says, right? Because there's so much that is, that's crazy talk. What does it mean that I am or was crucified with Christ? Apparently to, that, to God, it was a reality that I was actually crucified with Christ, was buried with him, raised with him. So now, Jesus died, and he didn't like leave and come back, but in that sense of having to leave the fellowship. But now, there's flesh and blood in the perichoresis in the Trinity. Jesus is back in heaven as a man. He's fully God, fully man, but he represents us, and somehow we are joined because of what Christ did and we have entered into that to the dance and this is kind of, this is what I, we've been talking a lot about this is what does this mean we are actually called in to the godhead to experience relationship not just with them, like as we kind of think of God as we're experiencing, yeah, you'll have a relationship with God, right? That doesn't sound like, you can have a relationship with God. That sounds good, but it's, it's more than that. You know, what is it in, um, which book is it that has the marriage stuff in there? Is it Ephesians? Where it has the husband? And then at the end of the chapter, what does he say? He says, but I'm not talking about a man and a woman. I'm talking about Christ and the church. And we all go, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's learn what it says about a man and a woman and what are husband and wife relationships. And it's like, but what does it say? I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. So what is the intimacy that God is calling us into here? I'm going to say a word that nobody's allowed to say in church. God designed sex as a metaphor of the intimacy he wants to have with us. He didn't just say, hey, those creatures need to go procreate. He said, I want a picture of intimacy, oneness. And I want it to be a very blatant picture of what I want to have with those that I love. Complete Total intimacy, 
oneness. You know, even in our, you know, we talk about being married. It's we become, right, every wedding you have at the end, it says, and the two now become one flesh. The goal is to become completely united. And that's another word that Larry talks about a lot with the, the picture of perichoresis is, is unity, okay, or united. Are you united if the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in us are all the same? Are we united or are we just replicated? Okay, I want to contrast some terms. The point of perichoresis is there is a difference, and yet in those difference, we become one. We are truly united. We're not the same, but we're one. This too for philosophical. What do you think? Right? Because sometimes we think of, we either get two weird things about the Trinity. We either say, well, there's the Father, then there's the Son is forever submitted, and then the Holy Spirit's over here just doing some work, you know, and there's kind of this hierarchy of, well, you know, it's really the Father and sort of the Son and kind of the Holy Spirit and stuff. That's, that's not a right attitude. Well, then you go to the opposite of, well, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are exactly the same because they're all the same, and then you get into, is that modalism, Larry, or modalism, where it's basically God that just operates three different ways. And it's like, no, that's not unity, is it? That's one God who works three ways. Yet somehow God says we are three independent, what we call them, beings, persons, personalities, you know, they, they fought over this for centuries in church theology of what it is and it isn't, and they've never come up with a absolutely yes, this is. It's more of a, well, we know it's not that, and we know it's not that, but it's kind of like this is the best we can do. But somehow, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have equal, what would we call it? Value, rank, significance, meaning, essence, purpose, yet there is something different about each one. And it's not just their role. They do seem to have different ways that they do things in some way, yet they're completely united as one. And they call us into that. That's kind of awesome. What do you think of this so far? So, we talk about this a lot, and it's like, Becky's had a headache for the last week or two. <laughs> Let's go back to our verse and see what he says. Go to verse, the first verse. Verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Let's unpack that. So what did we start with? His divine power. He's given us everything we need for a godly life. What does it mean to have a godly life? I'll come over here to the graffiti wall. So a godly life would be over here, right? We think of it, right? If you react, if you come from an old 
uh, a more legalistic thing. A godly life means you behave well, right? But what is it really? It means I have a life that is fundamentally characteristic of by God. Okay, And this is where we can kind of get things backward. We think to be a Christian is to behave. To be godly is to behave. And what he's saying is, to be this is to be godly. The behavior, if we're in this relationship, the behavior takes care of itself. You know, we have one way somebody put it, I forget who, said the legalistic thing is we have to do in order to become or do to be. And what we're saying here is we be in order that we can now do. So we get the identity first, all the attributes, who God has designed us to be, and the outcomes come out of that because of what God is doing in us. The other way, it's if I do enough stuff, I will become godly, loved by God, acceptable to God, any of those kind of things. And it's putting everything backward. And it also, if I'm going to do all that, whose power am I doing it by? It's Mr. Flesh, right? So we're basically operating according to the flesh in order to what? Impress God. Is that impressive to God? God's like, yeah, great. Go for it. (laughs) See how that works for you. You got a question? Or a thought? Okay, give us a thought. So, to go along with this. So, to go along with this, it brings to mind the scripture and the thought process involved in be ye holy Mm -hmm. as God is holy. Right. Where does that come from? Is that a declarative or is that a, is he telling you you need to accomplish something? Right. Well, what's the answer? Well, I would say the first (laughs) statement. So, it's a declarative. Yes. Yeah. A benediction, B. if you will. Yeah. I agree. Let's vote. How many vote? But the right answer. There you go. So that's the official answer. All right. So what is he going to do? Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. That. He wants you to participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So he's actually saying, if we're over here in the spirit, we're participating in the divine nature. What else do we get in there? We have all of his promises. So that's where his prom- where is God's promises. They're all over there. Okay. I want to look at it this way. Let's walk this out as a path. I can walk two paths in my life. Okay? I can walk, guess where this way is the Spirit. I can walk according to the Spirit, and God says, there are blessings here. I have all the good stuff is here. Or I can say, I want to walk according to the flesh. And then what's the typical thing you hear people in the flesh? Why won't God bless what I'm doing? I'm praying for his blessings. And God's like, they're over there. I already gave them to you, but they're over there. And we're like, but why don't you bless me here? It's like, because that's not where the blessings are. Blessings are over there. He's not withholding. You're not picking up the stuff that he already handed to you. 
They're not, over, they're not located here. <laughs> yeah, and we want to fight with God and say, please give me this stuff. And he's like, I did. It's not located there, though. Yeah. Gee, that means we have to talk with him. What? So, so, so we have to, so we have to, I guess that would be called prayer. Uh huh. And so that's a conversation with God, knowing what he would like us to do in our life on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So, uh, daily communication or da- yeah, daily communication with, with, uh, with the one I love. So what would that look like compared to over here? Let me go over here. God, I need this. I got this stuff. I got you need to fix this problem. I have these things going on. Would you just fix them? What does your conversation with God look like? God, is this something you want me to be involved in? Is this the right path I'm going on? Is this where you want me in my my walk mm-hmm. today? And it doesn't have to be this for me, it doesn't have to be this big spiritual thing. It's like I want you to I want you to rent this property, this apartment to this individual mm-hmm. instead of that individual. But that individual looks better. But I, I want you to rent it to this individual. Uh-huh. Because I have a plan. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm thinking this isn't a made up example, is it? <laughs> so that's good. You know, I had a pastor once who Actually, is my mentor whose funeral I'm going to tomorrow. Um, I remember asking him once, what do you ask God about? Do you ask God about everything, all your decisions? I said, would you even ask him what toothpaste you should buy? His answer was, do you think God's interested in your dental health? It's like, hmm, Okay. <laughs> I guess he is. That answer, you know, God's interested in what's going on in our life. And he doesn't want us to come as, you know, begging widows, you know, for looking for scraps. He wants us to come as um, his lovers who have intimacy with him, who can sit before him, be in his presence, and talk to him, hang out with him, be intimate with him, share with him. How late am I supposed to go? Okay. So I won't just ramble for I was thinking I could go to I was gonna to go to nine o'clock, but <laughs> so, all right. Okay. Uh I've been pondering the first question you asked as you were doing your illustration, which okay. was how does how does this look relative to perichoresis? Mm-hmm. And I had this nagging thing. And it was the persistent division of the terms body and flesh. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I started thinking, okay, so the illustration is leading me to pit part of me against another part of me. Yeah. My spirit versus my my body, which has been almost Mm -hmm. wholly usurped by my flesh. Mm -hmm. Then I saw what you drew uh, on the notes, but what you drew up on the upper corner of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. How 
different would our consideration be of the components? And this is something that we have time to follow up on yeah. beyond tonight, right? So how different would the consideration be if the illustration of these three parts to us mm -hmm. looked more like the one you drew of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit up there? Okay. And, and then uh, refresh me, because I was thinking about this while you were drawing that. What's the little thing in the middle of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I just put a triangle oh, just to a represent triangle that it's re God. Representing Trinity. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. in other words, the circles seem to capture a distinction. Mm -hmm. but, they, but that yellow line only touches a little bit of this one. If, if we were to think yeah. about these three realities, uh, you know, the exercise of our mind mm -hmm. and will the function of our body. Like, is it possible that for our body to be spiritual? Yeah, like I think in so. Like in, in a metaphysical way or in a, in a uh, uh, right. what, what's it called? when What's it called when people pray a lot? <laughs> Mystical. <laughs> Myst uh, you know, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, there's a mystic. Yeah, like you don't eat for a month right, or yeah, a year no, or something. Is a, is a, a well, because you're not, you know, like there was the nun or mystical woman who went like a year without eating and she, you know, just because she was right yeah, at this place. Yeah, exactly, of, exactly. So kind of what I'm, what I'm wondering, mm -hmm. contemplative is what I'm talking yeah. about, where, where, where you participate in the whole thing. Could we find the appropriate distinctions and discuss all the particulars, the contrast mm -hmm. of the particulars, if, if it was illustrated like the one you did or like the paracritic illustration at yeah. the top. Uh, and I guess what my point is, is the flesh seems to be able to exert itself through the soul as well. That's exactly the point. The desires so, of the flesh. Yeah, let's do this. So let's tune this picture ever so slightly. What we're saying is all that's in yellow came into here. This is our perichoretic relationship. The flesh... Including the flesh part. No. The, and here's a, here's a... Let me make an important definition. Okay. Okay. The flesh is not a part. Okay, good. That's the key. Okay, okay good. I think the that's body was... is a part of us. The flesh is only there. That word is only there for saying, I am led according to the flesh. Okay? okay. It's not a part of us. It's when I say, I allow the worldly, earthly, fleshly desires to grab my attention and draw me away, not physically away, but my attention is no longer in the perichoretic relationship. Okay. So now my attention is elsewhere. So the flesh isn't a thing as much as it's uh, how I am being led. Alternative. So we have an alternative. Okay. I am either led according to the Spirit, in the perichoretic relationship, or I am led according to the lusts. So let's give an Here's an example. This is for men or whoever. If I'm here and I walk by and a beautiful woman goes by, I can look and go, oh, it's a beautiful woman. She's very nice. She's lovely. Okay? At some point, I can then allow the flesh to start controlling and say, the flesh says, well, now I want to think some other things here, and I want to continue this and go down a different path. Now I am not operating according to the Spirit. I am operating according to the less of the flesh. 
And so I'm allowing them the fleshiness to start leading my decision-making process. So I really don't like to think of the flesh as a thing or a part of me as much as, okay. I don't know, I have to tune that one up. Okay. And, and Does that so, help or get yeah, there? Yeah, just a little bit. It, it, it's, yeah. So the flesh... It's not the post-cross characteristic of who I am. It's a, there's somehow something, and this is where I don't like to get tied to the word sinful nature. Yeah. Because that implies. I understand why they translate it that way, though, because it, it does make it something that kind of. Right. And it's like, and in some sense, Paul says, we no longer have it. It was crucified with Christ. It's right. no longer there. So we have a, another mystical thing. There is no flesh. Yeah. Yet somehow I seem to walk according to the flesh, the flesh. but the flesh was crucified and it's no longer there. So, you know, just because I've been yeah. focusing a lot with this on Peripheretic, mm-hmm. um, I love the potential of the illustration. Up, up there uh, of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit more uh-huh. than I love the distinct uh, circles. Mm-hmm. Only because my mind keeps keeps seeing distinction in that, yeah. that that I'd like to get around. So would you agree that at some point my mind is not operating according to that relationship and leading of Christ? Okay, so that's what I want to encapsulate with what flesh is. That's a word that does get used a lot in the New Testament, but I want to disconnect that from being actually me. It's not the true me of who I am. Because as far as the Paul says over and over, that's gone. Yet, <laughs> the mystery is, yet somehow, it still seems to... Okay, so my last question, literally. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Uh, death down there, we have a tendency to associate sin with death, and I understand why. Mm-hmm. But is death more closely associated with the flesh? Probably. And we haven't, because then you could put death in the middle there, and death would create mental illness in the soul. It would create demonic oppression in the spirit, and it would create yeah. Now certainly lust in the yeah body. certainly. Okay, so the Christ in us is perfect. Totally healed, everything is good. This hasn't caught up with everything that God has said. This is what spiritual maturity is, is the soul coming into alignment with what the Spirit says. So when we're completely mature, these guys will be in 100% agreement 100% of the time. Right? Would you... Now... He mostly is in agreement, you know, or depends on how we're doing. Dan Moeller's always in, he's probably, a, no, he's in the high 90s, I'm sure. Okay, and then, so to, to, so to qualify my other, my thought, I obviously uh-huh. realize we're, we're working with a two-dimensional thing. And these, these realities, our spirit, soul, and body, are, are a three-dimensional, more like a molecule than they are a flat Yeah, this is my crude attempt. No, 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 somehow, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not criticizing, mm-hmm. I'm just saying, no. how, how, how challenging is it to not leave our body out in the dark. That's why people all over the place, that's why we yeah. we went back when we were doing the gospel thing and said, let's make sure that we don't have a silly argument about is healing in the atonement. Yeah. Of course, the full restoration of every one of the damaged elements of us right. is in the atonement. So we that's have, good. Yeah, the body's in there. We We made the outline, and maybe we need to come up with a better drawing, but somehow we need to say... We can be led by one of two things, and we make choices every day 
according to one of two things. We either want to come in agreement with God or we choose to be in disagreement with God yeah. on what we do. And then there's something in us there's, called the flesh that embodies that or somehow. Yeah, and I, and, and I, I don't want to throw that word away because right. Paul uses it an awful lot right. of times. So what I want to do is try to figure out how do we use that word the best to best understand that. Oh, and, and I think this probably could use some tuning, but I'm not... Well, it's good. No, I'm, no, I'm it's open good. to suggestions if this doesn't. So, all right. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of like looking for some clarification like Larry uh, was. But does that mean that the spirit like can't be impure in this case? Or like would there be other negative counterparts of the way? I guess my first question would be, would the body and the flesh be counterparts of each other? The body? Uh, no, the body really is our physical. It's okay. So think of the soul as when you die, your body gets thrown in a, in a box your soul is still you. You're still always you, regardless of what container you're in. The body is there. It's good. And actually, I think we're going to hit some timelines. That'll be even more controversial next week. I'll try to walk through a timeline of all of history and what changes have occurred. But the spirit is really us. That's the true you. The body is the good you. However, that doesn't mean we don't do bad things with our body. It doesn't mean there aren't influences and we don't carry illnesses. But hopefully, if, I don't want to, it could sound accusative, but if we're completely, uh, aligned in the spirit 100%, I don't know, I don't want to say that because then it sounds accusatory towards sick people. We shouldn't have illness. We shouldn't, when we, when our soul and, does that make sense? Because I would just wonder if there would be a negative counterpart to the spirit or the soul in the same way. Like, I would view it more as the we're either led according to the spirit or we're led according to the flesh. So, if someone, so those are really the opposite, so to speak, the opposite. So like in Mark 5, where Jesus confronts legion, like the, or exercises legion from the yeah. thing. Pretty, in a lot of translations, it says pretty specifically that he has an impure spirit in that case. So I yeah. wonder why, would that be oh. in the flesh or would that be an impure? So I presume that word is also, it, it means he's possessed by or demonized by an in, in, impure spirit. So there are spirits in the world. That would be demons and all sorts of other things. Well, it says he has an impure spirit. Wait, which, where are at we least, at? In NIV, at least. Sorry, Mark 5. Mark. I'm not sure about other translations, but I think it says... Uh, hold on. Um, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man oh, lives in the tombs. No, so that's a guy that's demonized. Yeah, okay. It's so, not, so it's not saying his spirit is garbage. It's saying he has an additional bonus spirit, which is an un... Yes, we have a bonus demonic spirit in him. So you'll see that word a lot of unclean spirits, uh, foul spirits, other things. Those are all representative words for demonic entities. So that's yet another thing that can potentially influence a person is the demonic world. So yeah, in that term there, that's an actual different spirit that's getting involved in the process. It's like a different 
it's literally a demon. Yeah, I mean, fully. Yeah, okay. But he doesn't have a body, so he decides he's going to operate in your body. Okay. Now, usually it requires some, you can go into all that theology of how much permission or whatever has to happen to make that happen and what you got to do to get there. But somehow some people get to the point where there is demonic control at some level in their lives. And so we could throw a bonus spirit there that's not a good spirit, but it's a bad spirit that has influence and control in their lives. Okay, but you don't think it would be that he himself had an impure spirit? Just that no, spirit. he has a bonus buddy that's tagging along for, because right, because Jesus cast them out. Yes. So he no longer has that spirit. So he's left with the spirit of God or, you know, whatever God's connecting. And that's, again, I still have a, I have a hard time describing spirit in here of saying how much of that is us versus our connection to, to the spirit of God. So I don't really even like drawing them as two separate circles. So, but yeah, in your case, in that case, that would be a, an extra appendage being put in there. Does that make sense? Yeah. No? Yes, sir. I, mean, I don't agree with it necessarily. Oh, all right. Is there? Yeah, like. All right, we need to talk afterward then. Is there, I think I'm overdue here. So we can follow up on yes. So we'll we'll have next week if there's more questions. I think I also want to enter into a, a timeline. And this is part of what it is. Um, the goal of this picture is not intended to be an exact representation of exactly how we are as much as a starting point of a conversation to figure out how are we are we walking with God or not? And that's really the, the key there. And I'm definitely open to tuning this baby up here. Um, it's been a good conversation starter, but um, we'll see what we can do with that. So, all right. Thanks.